The book is called The Foundation of Australian Capital Cities, and the author is Tony Webster, who lectures in geology at the University of Tasmania. Let's start in Hobart, because here we are in Hobart, and obviously we would choose something like a nice big river, there's the Derwent, there's supply of water, and probably there may have been a collection of people who lived around there, and so the explorers could come in and say, this will be good. Is that how it happened? Hobart's a very interesting story. It had already been settled by the British, and obviously there was many Aboriginal people all over the place. But the British had already sent a small settlement crew or party down here from Sydney to Risdon Cove on the eastern shore. But that site wasn't particularly a good place to go, but that's where Bowen had been told to go. What happened was another expedition, a much larger expedition, was sent from Britain, and their job was to settle the coastline of Bass Strait because I think the British were getting a bit worried about the French at that stage. The French were getting very interested in southeastern Australia. And also the fact that Tassie had been proven by Flinders and others to not be attached to the mainland. So there's a theory that the French had realised, well, maybe technically the British claim to the east coast, such as it was, didn't apply to Tassie anymore because it's an island. So that they dispatched a big expedition from Britain, led by David Collins, who'd been at the First Fleet in Sydney, to form a settlement on the shoreline, the north coast of Bass Strait. He settled in Sorrento, what's now Sorrento, in Port Phillip Bay in Melbourne, which had only been discovered a few years before, and decided it was no good and moved that colony down to Hobart. Took a look at Risdon Cove and within about three days decided that the western shore was probably the best place to be. So pick Sullivan's Cove. And that was because there was a great little stream of water there, which you can still walk along. Well, if you're looking at this area from the sky you'll see a very, very wide river with a very, very big bridge, a famous bridge from 1975 when a ship ran into it. It's not the most convenient site on that basis, is it? Not really, but it had one of the things the Brits always looked for when they settled in these places in the early 19th century was a good anchorage, deep water close to shore. And Sullivan's Cove provided that. So it had the good fresh water and it had the anchorage and they had this little island just offshore, a little dollarite island, which they realised fairly quickly they could put all the stores in. The spit that joined it to the mainland was covered by high tide, so people couldn't get out to the island very easily and pilfer things. So it had the anchorage, it had the water, and they knew a little bit about it because James Meehan, who was a convict surveyor, who'd come out with Bowen a year earlier, had already done some work around here and they knew a bit about the landscape. So let's go to Sydney and the criteria apply yet again that okay you've got some water there and you've got some reasonably flat areas but originally they chose possibly botany bay but then it was rejected why oh that's um it's another one of these interesting stories but well basically the british expedition the first fleet arrived in botany bay as they were told to do the only place the british knew anything about on the east coast apart from the endeavor river and they were here for a day before, I think it was about a day, and Governor Philip had taken a look around Botany Bay and basically, much against accepted wisdom, thought that Cook and Banks were probably wrong about Botany Bay because it was very swampy, 
very low-lying, and there were no good anchorages where you could park all your ships and not get the swell coming in from the ocean, just coming straight through the mouth of Botany Bay. And if you go down to Canal in um, Botany Bay now, you can see that swell coming in. It's quite remarkable. And then all the gigantic container ships coming in too. But So they decided that there was no place for farming, there was no good water supply, no place to anchor ships. So he rode up the coast to a place that Cook, he'd named it, but hadn't been into, to Port Jackson, rode around for two days and chose Sydney Cove, but all within the space of two to three days, and chose Sydney Cove because of the tank stream and because it had the same reasons as Hobart was settled later. It had the deep anchorages close to shore, a freshwater supply, and they thought there might be some good soil for farming. They were kind of wrong about that third point. But lots of lovely sandstone there to build. Oh, that's absolutely correct. And that's... If you go to Sydney, Sydney is one of those lucky cities where there is still so much of the stone underneath the city still poking out, particularly once you get over to the Botanic Gardens and towards the Navy dockyards there. But yeah, Sydney is definitely a sandstone city. And the really interesting thing is that the sandstone was such a prominent feature of the western shore of Sydney Cove in 1788 that when the convicts started building all the little humpies in their huts and then developed little tracks to walk between their little huts, they had to put the huts wherever they could find a flat space between the outcropping sandstone. So the outcropping sandstone set up the alignment of all the little tracks of the rocks. And you can still walk around the rocks in the old, really old part of the rocks and still see places where the sandstone is just sticking up underneath a little early Georgian cottage but the sandstone basically set the pattern of the rocks and it's why the rocks has its name. That's why it got that name. And it was the first suburb of Sydney. So, yeah, the sandstone has made Sydney the way it is, really. Which brings us to Melbourne, <laughs> inevitably. <laughs> why did they choose Melbourne? Oh, it's going to be a bit of a, just a long, long series of stories about fresh water. But when you row up the Yarra River... It's all estuarine, so it's all salt water, pretty much until you get to about where Spencer Street is now, the um, Southern Cross Station. But there used to be a basalt reef across the river there, and that reef was so high, the Aboriginal people used to use it as a bridge to cross from one side of the river to the other, and the settlers used to use it for the same reason. But what happened at that ridge of rock where the Queen Street Bridge is now, it prevented the tidal flow getting any further up the river, and so above that reef, that bridge of rock, the water was fresh. And that was the water supply for Melbourne. That's why Melbourne is where it is, because of a simple basalt bar that crossed the river and prevented the salt water going any higher. Were any towns, any capitals that you examined, choosing a place, not thinking of the future, in other words, where the sand and the instability of the ground itself would have made building impossible or difficult? I guess probably Botany Bay in a way. is one, It's one of those aspects of the, of the site of Botany Bay. It was just so swampy and marshy. But I don't think in those days they considered whether there was a, a geohazard, a risk of building on them. But you have to say that if you look at Brisbane, Brisbane's a very flood-prone city. And if you look at the old parts of Brisbane and the city itself, they're all built on the high ground. So in Brisbane, they put the city on the high ground where Parliament House is now and where the big new development on Queen's Wharf is going. That was the rocky high ground. But all the botanic gardens in a place like Brisbane, the old botanic gardens, are still on the low-lying ground, which is flood-prone, and that was farming land and reserve for farming for the convict years. Because it was flood-prone, they couldn't build on it. 
We'll come to the future, but we've got uh, two major capitals to go to. Perth. Let's hop over Adelaide and go to Perth. Well, Perth, it's an interesting place because you never hear much about it, but Perth was actually settled as three separate cities and they had to do that because of the geology of the mouth of the Swan River estuary. So when the Dutch explored it in the 1690s and then the French came along later and then the British even later in the 1820s, the mouth of the Swan River, the Swan River estuary, was covered by a limestone reef. And you can still see that under the roundhouse in parts of it, the outcrop. is still there as a major feature of Fremantle where the roundhouse is built. But it used to cross the river and you could only get a little boat across the mouth of the river there by scraping it across the rocks if you were lucky. You couldn't take big ships up the river like the Inner Harbour now. They had to blow it up to make the Inner Harbour in the 1880s. So Perth was settled as an administrative centre because it was halfway between where they had to anchor the ships offshore at the port at Fremantle and then they set up a third town, Guildford, at the head of the Navigable River to service the only really good farmland on the Swan coastal plain at the time, which was the Swan River Valley. So there were three towns established in Perth, and Perth was always the administrative capital. Isn't that interesting? Because uh, my partner actually grew up in Perth, Cottesloe Beach, actually, and she and her friends often used to say that it was as if Perth had no centre no main area, no CBD apart from, you know, a few skyscrapers where offices were, but a place to congregate. Now it's different because you've got the new museum and you've got the library and the art gallery all on a big square, so you can actually have coffees and walk around a centre of Perth. That's true, but it's funny that the reason the museum is where it is in Perth is because it originally took over the site of what was the Geological Museum back in the 1880s and before that was the old prison. But the old prison was built in an area that was very swampy and flood prone and only poor people lived there because the story of Perth is one of lakes, groundwater lakes. And and this swampy, messy, flood prone area was only where poor people lived. So they put the prison where the poor people lived while all the rich people were living up on St George's Terrace where the breezes were. So the reason the WA Museum is where it is because of a social divide that developed in early Perth in the 1830s between the rich people living up on St George's Terrace where all the grand houses were and the poor people living in the flood prone areas and they put the jail where the poor people lived to keep them away from the rich people. And I, I don't know that for sure, but that's, that's the way, you can look at it that way. Yeah, I was talking to David Fisher, the producer of The Science Show, and he said, well, of course, what they want is rivers and somewhere to grow food, but in many ways much of the choosing of the site was to build prisons because Australia was a place to put convicts, obviously, if you're Brits, you know, dump them down there. However, in Adelaide, in South Australia, there was not that history of convicts. So was there a prison there? There's still the old jail to the north of the river, west of the city. But no, it was a free settlement and they were very proud of that. But it wasn't a thriving settlement to start with. But The reason it was a private venture, so the land was pre-sold before they left Britain, but they sent out Colonel William Light with them as the Surveyor General who had the power to choose where the city was, and he was an artist. He was a very artistic man, and his father founded Penang, by the way, in Malaysia, and he was born there. But anyway, Colonel Light uh, brought the expedition out from Britain and he designed the city. He chose the site because rising ground, the area that became the port, was flood prone, and he was right. He chose the ground because it was rising ground, but he laid it out. He had to assign a certain number of blocks that had already been pre-sold 
But he laid it out on his own initiative, put the park ring around it. So the ring of parkland that is one of the greatest assets of beautiful Adelaide was because Colonel Lyatt had this artistic sense and put the ring of parkland around it, but he had to lay it out and he took and he fitted it to the ground on this rising ground of the Parafault Scarp and the Calcrete Hills and things there. He took it with, I think, an eye of an artist. And he, there is a bit of a story that he may have just chosen the place for practical reasons, but also because it was an aesthetically pleasing site, which is a great idea and Adelaide's a very pretty place for that. When it comes to the future, are any of our cities such that they've been frankly put in the wrong place and therefore they're difficult to manage in terms of expanding for the future or being environmentally sound for the future? Oh, in the 21st century, I think we've got the ability to make any site work for us, especially with millions of people living there. But you'd have to say it, it was a struggle to make Brisbane a habitable place. Have you ever been stuck on Coronation Drive getting trying to get through the city in Brisbane? I think they all had their disadvantages and the reasons they were settled is not... You would probably choose better places, but most cities had an opportunity to move somewhere else. There were often arguments or discussions about whether they should move, but once business got going and there was some land value in any of these places, it was very difficult to move them. So the earliest days tended to set in place these cities and it was impossible to move them really. But I think they've all been made to work, but I think some of them have taken a lot of effort. And I think particularly Brisbane is kind of a standout there. I think most people in Brisbane would agree the city is in this very restricted sort of peninsula. And here we are, we haven't even mentioned Canberra, <laughs> which was invented for all sorts of other reasons, which we'll come to perhaps another day, but thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Anthony Webster at the University of Tasmania Geology Department. His book is The Foundation of Australia's Capital Cities. And yes, it does mention Darwin lots. The Science Show on RN.